Uh, my name's Barry, I'm the vicar of St. John's. When we come to the gospel, St. Mary's and St. John's people, you're excused standing up, okay? You can, you can stay sitting down. We do things differently in our place, that's all right. Our first reading is from uh, the Old Testament, from the book of Genesis, chapter 18. And we're reading the first 18, uh, sorry, first eight verses. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, where he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. Do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me give you something to eat, so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sayers of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. I can't resist it. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel reading is taken from the gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And we're reading verses 25 to 37. And this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. 
The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any ex extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, as we hear your word today, as we reflect on your word, uh, pray for Father James as he comes and brings your word, your message to us today. Give us hearts that are open and ears that are unblocked to hear what the Spirit is saying to each one of us. For we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you, David. Well, it is wonderful to be here, not just worshipping together, but uh, I am going to be here, sadly in some ways, for the last time. I have been on the hill for 35 years, and it is time to move on. So it's a very special honour and privilege to be with you here at Holy Trinity today. This is a church I have known throughout that time I've been on the hill. My own son used to go to Quainton Hall next door, and this is where we used to gather for uh, many uh, school occasions when he was there. I have uh, twice now um, chaired um, hustings with um, local MPs, or at least MPs uh, seeking our votes on various elections over those three decades and more uh, in this building. I have come on occasions like this to worship together, but it's a very special privilege now to be preaching at this service, hopefully reflecting creatively and in a spirit-led way on what it is that God is saying to us in our passages this morning and indeed uh, through this week of prayer for Christian unity. Gaza, Israel-Palestine, Ukraine, Yemen, Iran-Pakistan. All those current conflicts with which we are tragically and sadly familiar. But what of those conflicts that have fallen off our news apps and the front pages of our newspapers? Myanmar. Sudan, Ethiopia, Armenia, Azerbaijan, and the country from which the material for this year's week of prayer for Christian unity has come, Burkina Faso. Do we even know where Burkina Faso is? I was looking at, uh, listening to a reflection on the material set for this uh, year. I think actually it was a thought for the day, possibly even yesterday, and the speaker admitted they had to look up where Burkina Faso was. 
I'm afraid I have a confession to make. I had done almost exactly the same about five minutes earlier. Burkina Faso is in West Africa. It has 21 million inhabitants, of which there are 60, 60 ethnicities. Approximately 64% approximately of the population is Muslim. 9% still adhere to traditional African religions. 26% are Christian. Of that 26%, 20% are Catholic and 6% are Protestant. These religious groups are represented in every region of the country and virtually in every family. Burkina Faso is currently experiencing a serious security crisis, even if it doesn't appear on our news apps and newspapers. And that crisis affects all faith, faith communities. After a major jihadist attack was mounted from outside the country in 2016, the security situation in the country and consequently its social cohesion deteriorated dramatically. Over 3,000 people have died in the conflict and almost 2 million are now internally displaced. 2 million out of 21 million, almost 10% of the country. Thousands of schools, health centres and town halls have been closed and much of the socio-economic and transport infrastructure has been destroyed. Christian churches have been specifically targeted by armed gangs. Priests, pastors and catechists have been killed during worship and the fate of others who have been kidnapped remains unknown. Nevertheless, a degree of solidarity is emerging between Christian, Muslim and traditional religions. Their leaders are working to find lasting solutions for peace, social cohesion and reconciliation. And to this end, the Christian Muslim Dialogue Commission of the Catholic Bishops' Conference of Burkina Niger is making a major effort to support interreligious and interethnic dialogue and cooperation. And so it is the churches of Burkina Faso who have chosen our readings today. The wonderful account of the hospitality of Abraham captured by Anton Rublev in his icon which has come to represent the Trinity and the parable of the Good Samaritan, told by Jesus in response to that most fundamental of questions, who is my neighbour? It will be that question that those of you in the house groups here at Trinity will be turning your attention to over this coming week. And of course, we are familiar that in the original Greek, the word used to describe the love of which we are reflecting upon, agape, not just general interest in someone else, but real deep commitment to them, a commitment that could 
end in laying down our lives for another. And so you will be asked to reflect upon what is eternal life and how can we inherit it? How does agape love play a part in that? What does it mean to agape, to love at that level the Lord our God? What does it mean to agape our neighbor? What does it mean to agape ourselves? Well, I think some of the insights of this particular week are worth reflecting on in that context. The power of the parable of the Good Samaritan is not necessarily in its traditional interpretation of helping those in need, crucial though that is, but of course in whom Jesus presents as the helper. I'm sure we are all familiar with the fact that Samaritans, though ethnically the same as the Jerusalem Jews, were nonetheless utterly rejected by them because they worshipped in a different way. And as David has acknowledged already this morning, we are communities who in the end worship in a different way. But is there something that binds us together? And of course there is, because that's why we are here this morning the parable of the Good Samaritan, I think, in many ways, is Jesus' own reminder in story form of the affirmation at the beginning of the book of Genesis. God created humans in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is the insight our brothers and sisters our neighbors in Burkina Faso are celebrating in their material this week. Indeed, surely it is imperative upon Christians in a world where there is division and conflict to proclaim ways in which not just Christians but all human beings can live together, celebrating our diversity of language, creed, culture, race, sexual orientation, yet in the midst of all that difference, affirming a deeper unity. A unity conferred upon us all as fellow creatures bearing the image of God. Who is my neighbor? We are neighbors here together, as indeed we have acknowledged by greeting each other toward the beginning of this service. Yes, we are disparate. We come from different communities and cultures. We worship in different ways. Well, the disciples themselves were a pretty disparate group, some fishermen, some minor business people, some Roman collaborators, Matthew, a tax collector, ta collecting taxes on behalf of the occupying power, while others engaged in undermining Roman rule, Simon the Zealot. They were certainly not all of one mind, and the Gospels witnessed to their arguments and disagreements. 
Yet this was the group to whom Jesus bequeathed the task of proclaiming the kingdom of God. This was the group that needed to discover a deeper unity, that needed to form a visible community, that they may all be one, to quote Jesus' prayer in St. John's Gospel. The uncomfortable truth, and it is uncomfortable for us all at times, is that as Christians, we are called to model that unity and openness to others for the world. The Greek meaning of the word ecumenical, oikumene, is more accurately one world. The community of all nations, all peoples. Community does not require us all to be of one mind, all in agreement. At the Last Supper, Jesus instituted the Eucharist, the communion service, the Mass, the sharing of bread and wine. In so doing, he makes his disparate disciples companions. A word which means the one with whom I shared bread. A company is a gathering of those who share bread. The significance of eating together is profound. Meals mark special occasions. We're familiar with going out for our birthdays, particular achievements, leaving parties, funeral wakes, food. The sharing of food, always central. And perhaps it is around the meal table we are finally reminded that the most basic of human needs, eating, finally unites us. I noticed David said to the young people as they left, have they got food with them? And we were promised food afterwards. We will eat together. That is as important to our fellowship as our worship is now. It's an extension of it. And I think that insight is shared not just amongst Christians, but amongst many religions. The Jewish Shabbat and Passover Seder meal, the Muslim Iftar during Ramadan, and food often plays a part in Hindu, Sikh, and Jain religious ceremony. And of course, it is the insight that is at the heart of our Old Testament reading this morning, in which Abraham entertains his three mysterious visitors. Or as Barry pointed out briefly before this service, Abraham says that he's going to create this wonderful meal and then gets everyone else to do it. But the important thing is that they do sit down together. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. The Christian church has come to see in those visitors a revelation of Trinity, the unity in diversity revealed at the heart of God.
and how appropriate it is to be worshipping together in this church, dedicated to the honour of the Trinity. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, about whom we were singing, to whom we were singing at the introduction of this service. For me, the absolute focus of my Christian faith is the Eucharist, the sharing of bread and wine, the sacrament of unity. But no less significantly, over the past few years, your ministers, Barry, Andrew, David, Father Derek and I, have met for occasional breakfast meetings. And I haven't checked up with them, but I think I can witness to the fact that we have all found those gatherings in the midst of very busy lives genuinely life-affirming and supportive in our varied ministries. I certainly have. And when I move on, it will be those very ordinary breakfast meetings that will be one of the things I take away with me and give thanks for. Simple, but actually deeply profound, certainly in the conduct of my ministry. So thank you to all of you. I hope this service is similarly affirming in our shared life in the universal church. We may indeed worship in different ways week by week, but together we are engaged in and support each other in our ministries, in our communities, witnessing to the fact that we are fundamentally members of the wider universal church as we worship Almighty God. But here in Harrow, we have a very practical expression of that shared vision. And that is in our support of two particular charities Firm Foundation, who work on our behalf with the homeless of the local community, and Harrow Street Pastors. Both charities doing crucial work, the work of the Good Samaritan, if you like. Both, I am delighted to say, are charities that all of us here support in prayer, in joining with them, and in raising funds for them. Both Firm Foundation and Harrow Street Pastors affirm Jesus' assertion that we so often find our neighbour in the guise of the most needy, and equally often in those who are different from us. Our neighbour is both the Good Samaritan and the one beaten up on the side of the road. But equally challenging we have to find ways of recognizing our neighbor in those who walked by on the other side. Whatever it was that prevented them from crossing that boundary and barrier, we need to understand so that we can then overcome it, probably within ourselves. 
The churches in Burkina Faso face real challenges and sometimes lay their own lives on the line. On the whole, we do not face that level of challenge, but we can affirm with them the underlying truth that all of us, as fellow human beings made in the image of God, that each of us here, along with our friends in Burkina Faso, are neighbors. In the material produced for this week by the churches of Burkina Faso, they urge us to reconnect God's dream for us, the dream of unity formed of ties of love and compassion. Their words, not mine. Let me conclude with a traditional proverb from the culture of the largest ethnic group in Burkina Faso, the Mossi. A plea not just for greater cooperation and unity between Christians, but particularly apposite for the whole world. Regardless of the nature or duration of the fight, the moment of reconciliation will come. We pray for that moment. We are called to work for it. And while there will be times where we are disappointed, tired, beaten down as we pray through the headlines that come to us through our phones and newspapers, let us remember the words with which we opened this service in our first chorus. Our God saves. There is hope in your name. Let us pray that. Let us hold on to that. And as we leave this building later, after our fellowship, after our food together, let's live that in our lives and be models of a greater, deeper unity, the unity for which God longs. Amen. <laughs>